around her calf. All right. All right. Welcome to the 80, 48th episode of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. In this episode, Sheen and I recount a recent observing session where we were attacked by a moose. <laughs> if you say so. That intro will probably only appeal to Canadians, too. I yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. So. And not far away, the bull moose. Some bulls weigh as much as 1,800 pounds. But yeah, so I think it was a moose that was, that was out there eating that tree. <laughs> well, maybe. Um, I, I, I will stand in the middle and say, it's without a bear. visual confirmation, it, it could have even have been a Sasquatch. So who knows? <laughs> so I didn't tell you guys this because when I was, when I was out there before you guys showed up, um, I was walking around. And I found uh, like those giant hoof prints from a moose. Mm. And so it seems like that's why I was so certain. I'm like, oh, I guess that's the moose. Because um, yeah. I've seen lots of moose prints uh, in, in the past and then seen the moose and then to see the prints and then to hear a giant animal eating a tree. <laughs> seems like. Yeah, there is something out there and, you know. There are a few moose around here, so anything's yeah, possible. Be, I think that's a good spot for a moose. Yeah, it's well-treated, uh, water sources, um, and, and like it's a, it's a nature preserve or something like that. Yeah. And, and animals are smart. They know where to go to not get shot. So. Yeah, or they're just not shot in those areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So it was, it was so much fun observing with you guys uh, again, like really, really have missed that. Uh, during the pandemic and the, and the times we've tried it, it hasn't quite worked out. Yeah. Um, it was really nice to get out and have, you know, some other astronomers around to look at the sky. That was really nice. Um, you know, the, the times we have tried to get out like just a few weeks ago, Yeah, the, the forecast looked great. We drove just outside of our city and it just, well, you know, prior to driving, we looked outside and said, what happened to the good forecast? Yeah. You know, all of a sudden we were clouded over and, and we were foiled, but last night it was at least clear. Um, yeah. that's, that's about all I'll say about it. <laughs> well, it was really, good. I mean, yeah, it was really clear. Just the seeing was, was atrocious. It was just terrible, terrible seeing conditions. I thought anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny, right? Like there's, there's that balance of transparency and seeing, and sometimes they both don't line up very well, you know, and the yeah. transparency was really good last night. Yeah. The it was seeing super was clear. Terrible. Like, um, you know, I'm used to looking at Jupiter and Saturn a lot this year and, and not having great seeing because they're so low on the horizon. But, um, when I was looking at uh, a double star in Andromeda last night, Almac, I couldn't believe how turbulent the sky was. Like, yeah. I thought my mountain was broken with the way it was just hopping and bouncing around in the field of view. It was incredible. Yeah, and I, yeah, I was getting a lot of that too. Um, and, and then as well, like your 76 millimeter was, was giving a crisper image than my 100, which was clearly a result just of, of the linear increase in the effect on the telescope that, that a hundred millimeter will have over, over a 76. Like I could actually see in your telescope, the planet was moving <laughs> like around. And in mine, you kind of, I was getting that averaging because it's collecting more photons. Um, yeah, that was, that's ridiculously bad. Like usually in the, in the past when I've had bad seeing, you would need to go from like, like an 80 millimeter to 
something like an eight or a 10 inch telescope to, to see that kind of uh, difference in the seeing. So that was, that was bad seeing. Yeah. Yeah. It really was um, still a fun night. Um, and I changed up some of my targeting, you know, to look at things a little higher in the sky um, and just get away from the planets. Uh, the double cluster looked, you know, beautiful as always uh, yep. just in Perseus there underneath the Cassiopeia. Um, trying to think what else. Oh, Mike was looking at some globulars through his 15 by 50 binoculars, which were pretty neat. Yeah. You know, that um, is one good thing to do too. And in, in times of bad seeing, sometimes just scaling down your aperture and scaling down your magnification, you know, you, you can get by, you just look at yeah. different targets and you sort of change your approach and you can still have a good night under the stars. Yeah. I, uh, you mentioned your mount. I, I did really enjoy seeing uh, your mount and the, and the Burleback chair in action. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, that mount, <laughs> it's far too much mount for the telescope that I brought out. Um, but I'm trying to figure out the tripod to put underneath the mount. And so part of me bringing it out was just a, a you know, a field test of, of the tripod and mount combination. Um, I think I was relatively happy with it, but I, I think that that mount is actually a little more stable on a, um, uh, like it's an aluminum tripod that I have. Um, trying to think here it came with the twilight two mount that i have from explore scientific so it's oh, two okay. inch legs and it's quite stable um, yeah okay so go, just go back to that okay you're not thinking are you still thinking about getting the burlaback planet or one of those well not the planet the planet is just far too big and bulky and heavy um, yeah and i really i don't need something like that so there's no sense um, getting something quite that large um, the unis really appeal to me but, you know, when I look in my garage, <laughs> and I look at this collection of tripods that I have. And like I said, like that Explore Scientific tripod, you know, it doesn't have a mount on it right now. It works really good underneath it, the Sky T. It's not as, um, it's not as pretty as a Burlaback. You know, it's certainly like a Burlaback tripod is almost like a piece of furniture. Like you could, in my opinion, you could set that up in your your living room or your family room and and it'll just kind of fit in with your decor because it's like yeah, cl clearly hard. your furniture is better than mine <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so you know there, there's that but like if i don't have to spend 800 dollars on a tripod um i think i'll i, I won't spend 800 dollars on a tripod i'll just use yeah. what i have yeah. So is that like a, like a, is it the tubular aluminum or is it the one that's kind of uh, sort of squared off kind of thing? It's tubular, uh, two okay. inch legs. Um, oh, okay. I forget the height that it extends up to, um, but it has a little spreader in the middle to yeah. add some stability. The thing that I hate about it is like the spreader has um, three cutouts for inch and a quarter eyepieces. But yep. like, it's really tight and it's in a bad spot. So it's hard to use. Yeah. And I really like having the ability, like I like a tripod tray so that when I'm at the telescope, I can have an eyepiece in the diagonal and then a couple of eyepieces in the tray so that yeah. if I want to switch magnifications, I don't have to get up, grab the eyepiece and come back. Yeah. I just have it there. Right. And then I can yep. sit in my comfortable chair and enjoy the observing. Um, so that's the big downfall with the Explore Scientific tripod. Um, and that's the one thing that still has me thinking, man, maybe I should get that Burla back. <laughs> but, but, you know, again, at $800, I can walk 10 feet over to my eyepiece case and grab an eyepiece. <laughs> yeah. The one thing I saw somebody doing this week is, uh, well, you know how I have like a, it, it's a, 
although it's Pentax, it's meant for, I think, camera lenses, like that little camera lens bag. And that's kind of what I keep. Because I only take out like four or five eyepieces in my diagonal and some filters. And it's, it's sort of perfect for that. I've seen where a lot of people, or this one person anyway, was, was kind of just taking that and then just running the strap around the tripod and then just kind of having that there and you just flip up the top and then your eyepieces. And I kind of meant to do that that night, but I was, hmm. I was messing around with, uh, with that mount, as you know. So, you know, that's one of the things I, I definitely want to try. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there, there are some creative solutions that you can do to store eyepieces on a tripod. Like some guys kind of take a wood plank, cut some two inch holes and some inch and a quarter holes. And there's, depending on your tripod, you can mount that to the leg. And then just the natural angle of the tripod leg, like you drop your eyepieces in these holes and they're quite safe in there. They, they won't fall out, but then they're- Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. So yeah. that's something I'm thinking about too. Yeah, that would be cool. But I was also excited to see your mount in action for the first time. I know you've, you know, we, we've talked a lot about it here on the podcast and as well as, you know, texting back and forth. But man, I was really impressed with your uh, Skywatcher AZ GT, GTI. <laughs> yeah, GTI. Is it the GTI? Yeah. I don't even G- know. It, I'm just going to call it the GT and whatever, whatever it is, it is. <laughs> yeah. When you're ordering, though, I recommend not doing that. Um yeah, I was I was really happy with it. I was baffled by a couple things. So when I've been using it on my deck at home with my, uh, I, I've used it mostly with the 60 millimeter, but a few times with the 100. And in, in either instances, um, the deck is a little bit shaky, much less so with the 60. 60, it's almost like a, per, I mean, it really is like a perfect match with that Manfrotto 028 or 55 or whatever it is, that, that tripod with the geared column. And then with the uh, Skywatcher uh, AZ GTI with, with the 60 millimeter Takahashi, it's a beautiful combination. Um, the deck is a little unstable. I put the vibration feet underneath and it's pretty much all good. But I did notice, you know, like things were tracking for about maybe 12 to 20 minutes. And that's fine. Like that's kind of all I was looking for. And the same when, when I had the 100 on there. Um, but then I was surprised that when I, when I took it out there and set it up uh, on, on Friday night, that it seemed to track for a lot longer. You know, um, like the whole time we had it on Jupiter, I, I don't know how long that was. It felt like at least half an hour. And it was just starting to get to, to closer to the edge of the field where, you know, kind of like the field curvature and the chromatism in the eyepiece was starting to impact it. But um, it easily would have been still in the field for another 10 or 15 minutes. So that would have been the better part of three quarters of an hour. And I, I don't know that I had quite centered it. So I was kind of surprised. It seemed like it was, it was able to track um, much better out there. So I don't know if maybe just being around like my Wi-Fi and everything else that's going on in my house and maybe being on the wobbly deck, I don't know. Somehow something here seems to be impacting because I set it up so many times here. I just was thinking that's just how it worked. So I was really surprised how long it tracked because it did seem to track for a long time, didn't it? Oh, it did. And, and you know, you were pushing 100 times magnification, I think, with that eyepiece yeah. right around there. So um, yeah, it did a really good job. The, the only thing I can think of maybe um, would be like when we were out at um, White Butte Trails observing last night, um, you know, you're, you're on the ground. So you can get kind of a better take on leveling the tripod because you're on the ground. Now, and I didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which was interesting. But I wonder if on your deck, if 
like, you know, you maybe level it on the deck, but the deck is sloped or something like that, potentially. Well, they, like, cause that can impact tracking sometimes, but I don't know. It's hard. It's, it's a hard one to, to nail down. Yeah. Well, what's weird is I did level the tripod um, on the deck. I can't recall if I used it or not. I think I did use it and it didn't really seem to make that much of a difference. And then certainly when I had it out there, you know, at, at our observing site there, I did not level it like hundred percent. So if it, if it happened to be um, better leveled, I, I would have been, I mean, that would have just been a random fluke right, that, it was, right. that it was better leveled out there. So yeah, cause um, we set up kind of in darkness too. So it's a little harder to make sure things are level. <laughs> yeah. We were on a bit of a hill and I never adjusted the lags. And mm-hmm. um, so, I mean, it, a lot of things would have had to line up there for it to be better. I just couldn't be- imagine that it would have been better, better did, leveled. Um, did, did you say line up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, there goes the fly. Oh. I've got a fly in here today. Good stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, the one thing though I notice is not really as stable as I want it. Like on the deck, mm-hmm. I'm not too surprised. It's not that stable, even with the vibration pads, but I, I don't know that it was really appreciably stable, even setting up on uh, like we're on soft earth, which is, I think like a, that's a pretty good surface to put a tripod on as far as vibration suppression will go. I, I think anyway. Oh, sorry. Just having a sip of coffee. That's all right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like the ground is the best place to set your gear on. Uh, you know, it's the most firm, um, like you just can't beat it. Um, the one thing I'll say, so your Manfrotto tripod, I have an earlier version of it. It's, it's uh, labeled a Bogan tripod and then Manfrotto acquired Bogan and slowly, you know, just kind of called everything Manfrotto. Oh, like I think mine, like mine's very, I, so I bought it used 20 years ago. Oh, okay. Okay. So if I'm, I'm just calling it that cause I think that's what most people, whenever I call it a Bogan, like nobody knows what I'm talking right, about. Right, yeah, right, it's, right. It's, I think, yeah, I, yeah, I think it is that, uh, but it, Oh, doesn't sorry, even have the brand. No, it just doesn't even have the brand on it, but I'm pretty right. sure it's the Bogan, yeah. Right. So essentially you and I have the exact same tripod yeah. and um, I, you know, I think if you replace that tripod, it'll be way more stable because even that tripod um, with my uh, 76 millimeter tack, um, if I'm, if I'm running it at F 7.5, it's okay. But when yeah. I put in the Q extension, which then the physical tube is probably about as long as your um, 100. Um, I think it's longer. Might even be longer. Yeah. But it, it doesn't do well on that tripod. And even with like my stellar view M2C mount, which is like that mount can easily handle that telescope. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit more vibration than okay. I would like. And, okay. Well, that's um, good to know. Yeah. So I think if you, if you, you know, get a tripod with a little more capacity or like you were even saying, um, taking the wood tripod off your Lapides mount, um, and if you can make it work with the Skywatcher mount, uh, you know, I think that'll take care of it too. Cause wood is just so much better with dampening and, uh, handling a load. So, yeah. And so it's, it's, this is like really like kind of a, a strange upgrade because, so I've got that, I've got, a, I feel like I'm starting to drown in tripods too, because yeah. I've got the tripod that the AZ GTI came with and it really isn't that great. Um, I kind of think that. They, they should really offer it more as a, as, as a package option only or something. Really, you should be buying the mount and the, and the pillar. And then they should be trying to sell the um, PB70 pan base as, as an add-on to it um, for those of us that, that are, you know, 
beyond the level of just like a, a brand newcomer. I think for a newcomer, it's fine. But once you have some experience doing this, I think you want to get that pan base. It just really, really adds to it mm-hmm. more than, more than the, the tripod does. Um, but yeah, like I, I noticed that they've now put out a, a slightly different version of the uh, 1.75 inch stainless steel tripod which is for this mount and uh and some of their other mounts and really like i mean they should be selling that with it but it's only i think it's like around 150 canadian Mm -hmm. so it's basically the same price as if if i was to buy an adapter from burlaback or somebody else like that's that's what an adapter is going to cost me Okay. And so, of course, it comes with like the the tripod hub, which is kind of what I'm looking for, and then it comes with the the legs as well. So, it it actually is essentially the same price to go and and buy a whole whole new tripod than it is to try to get an adapter for my uh, for my wood tripod or or so it seems anyway. Right. Right. Hmm. Well, that seems like a, a good option anyway, and I think a one and three quarter inch tripod would do wonders for it. Yeah, I see there's there's an individual online I see and he's done a couple of things I, I'm doing as well where he replaced the uh, the saddle uh, with the ADM and I have that coming. Though he did the dual one and I looked at the dual one but I, I thought it started to add a little bit more weight and futziness. I don't have any Lozmany plates anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see, that one weighs 10 or 12 ounces and this mount is only designed to hold 11 pounds and so you're trying to really watch the ounces mm-hmm. and uh, let's see, it, uh, it can take the Lossman D plates and the regular Vixen plates, but I just bought the one that takes the Vixen plates because it's only about an ounce or two heavier than, than the original uh, clamp. So I, I think that that's, uh, that's a decent upgrade. So you get the, the main benefit of having a larger purchase. I'm kind of hoping though, I'm going to wait until I get that and hope that that takes um, a little bit more of the wobble the wobble out i think that will help as well yeah uh, it definitely will um, um you know the, the the bigger clamp um and then yeah if you decide to go down a tripod path um you'll you'll have a really solid setup yeah i hope so um because i'm really happy with the mount and the tracking oh the one thing i, I noticed or, or you know that night as well is we could kind of see that pulsing a little bit Mm-hmm. And there's there's two things that seem to be the culprit. So first of all, I haven't noticed that as much at home, but I but I have been trying to balance it a little bit better. And for whatever reason, I think just because like we hadn't been observing together, it's just I was enjoying like our conversations more than I was actually setting up my gear. Um, and so I I didn't quite balance it as much as I should have, and I think that makes it more sensitive to uh, to any kind of pulsations or whatever. And then the other thing is that I noticed that people say when the batteries start to kind of run down a little, then they will, uh, it will start kind of giving uh, less consistent uh, motions. So uh, I have been using those. That's probably, man, I'm going to say it has to be at least half a dozen two hour sessions say that, that I've used those batteries for. So I think they're probably getting, getting towards the end. Um, people generally say they get maybe six hours, so I'm on 12 hours minimum. The, the good thing, though, with using the lithium batteries is um, a, like a, a normal nickel, like nickel cadmium battery will slowly lose its power 
right yeah. from day one, right? And just yeah. it's a slow drain. Whereas lithiums go at a much more consistent uh, yeah. power rate all the way to the end, and then it's just done. Like they don't yeah. trail off as much, which is nice. I, I have heard this mount is like particularly susceptible to any kind of, because I think it's running right at the limit, oh, okay. um, for what, like whatever the limit is. Hmm. I should have brought my little Celestron power pack for you to try out. Mm-hmm. That would have been good. Yeah, maybe another time. So were you looking at anything else this week? Sorry, Shane, I just had to cough there. So I was looking for my mute button. <laughs> <laughs> my apologies. Um, yeah, so let's let's just take a look. So on that night, what, what all did you look at? You, you mentioned you looked at uh, Jupiter and Saturn, some double stars and a few DSOs. I mostly looked at Jupiter and Saturn and Mars. Yeah, I looked at um, Almac in, in Andromeda, which I looked at um, a couple nights before that from my backyard. Yeah. Um, that is a really awesome double star. Um, a lot of people talk about Albirio in Cygnus as a great double star to look at because one, like the brighter star is a, an orange star. And then, you know, I guess in Albirio, you, it's not a companion cause it's not a true double system, but the, the other star right beside it is a blue star. So you see this orange and blue and, and you can see the contrasting colors and it's quite pretty. Um, but I think Almac is way nicer to look at. Um, the companion, well, first of all, Almac is a true double star system. In fact, I think it's a quad system. Um, although the, the two, the, there's two stars that orbit around the blue star and I don't know what their magnitude is, but I'm not sure they're, I'm not sure you can see them visually. Um, yeah. um, if you can, you probably need quite a large aperture, but anyway, the companion star is such a, like, deep blue like it just really pops out at you um, yeah yeah so, no it did for sure i had to look at it through your scope yeah it looked really good. yeah yeah so like i really recommend people take a look at all mac um you know it, again it's it's in a great position it's a very easy star to find you can see it from you know light polluted areas uh it's a great double so yeah had a look at that although seeing last night like we said was kind of garbage so the, yeah. the actual view of it was a little messy um, I took a look at Polaris, which is another double star system, uh, just to confirm that seeing was indeed not very good across pretty much the whole sky. <laughs> um, and then I looked at the double cluster, um, which I was actually surprised. Like I was using my Leica uh, zoom. Um, so at its lowest magnification, which is 18.9 uh, millimeters, um, I think it gives about a 60 degree field of view. And I was able to fit pretty much all of the double cluster into one field of view, even though I had the extender in that telescope. So that was mm -hmm. kind of a nice thing, but, um, and then that was it. You know, I looked at uh, some stuff through Mike's binoculars and, uh, so, you know, checked out Jupiter and Saturn through your telescope as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just uh, trying to look up. We noticed some meteors coming in. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I saw like three or four different uh, different meteors and you know like are these meteors the ones from comet uh neowise already oh so because it's saying i'm just looking at the american meteorological meteor meteor association and says during this time moon reaches new phase on the 17th um looking at your sun yeah i definitely like i think we all uh probably 
I don't know, saw three to five meteors uh, within a couple of hours. And I want to say that a lot of us didn't see the same meteor. Like, you know, we were all looking at different parts of the sky and we were all seeing them all over. Hmm. So yeah. So some good activity. Some of these are the signets. They peak on the 14th and 15th. The antheleons. And they peak around the same time. Epsilon Perseids, the New Era Danids, sounds like some sort of punk band. Eta um, Aranids, the Lincids. I've never heard of any of these. The Sextantids uh, and the Sporadic. So yeah, um, seems like there's quite a bit because we did see quite a quite a few yeah, um, yeah. coming yeah. in. So I'm not really sure why this article on the American Meteor Society it, it's like mentioning Neowise. Um, the first three paragraphs are kind of not, not that clear, but yeah, I was just trying to figure out what, what maybe we were seeing, but I'm, I'm guessing it was, it was some, or maybe some from all of those, um, meteor showers. Yeah. Yeah. There, I, I guess maybe the point of that is if, if you are out observing and you're under moderately dark skies, like where we were, we were 10 or 15 minutes outside of a city that has 250,000 people. Yeah. Um, so while it was darker than the city, it certainly was not super dark. Um, so if you're out, there's a good chance you'll see some meteors going on too. Cause you know, as you just listed, there's a number of uh, meteor showers kind of peaking or occurring around now. Yeah. None of them are, uh, you know, big number meteor showers, but it just means that there's a, you'll see some flashes of light up there probably. Yeah. What'd you think of that site? We've, we've gone out there a couple times now and you know, what I like about it is it's a, it's a quick, like, it's easy to get to. Like I just said, it's, you know, from your house, it's probably about a 15 minute drive. And I think it's if about that. the same from my house. Yeah. Like yeah. it's really close. Yeah. Um, I love uh, that it's not on the side of a road. Um, not that yeah. that isn't an option, but. No, I hear you. The thing with the side of the road is if somebody drives by, then you're, you know, trying to get caps on everything. So dust doesn't, you know, yeah. interfere with your optics or, and, and then there's also just like, you might have some encounters out there with a farmer that's wondering what you're doing in his field or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, no, I, I, what I like about this site is it's a, like, it's a public space. It's a, like a nature preserve of some kind. There's trails through the trees um, but the parking lot gets us far enough off the road that we don't really have to deal with the headlights, uh, you know, that annoyance. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's trees and things around, so there's decent windbreaks. We do lose a little bit of the horizon, but um, overall, I like it. I think it's a great place to go, um, especially when the conditions are, you know, maybe we're not sure what they'll be like, or if we just want to have a nice you know, easy session where we're yeah. we go out for an hour or two and then we go home, you know, it's well, great for that. Yeah. I kind of wondered like, cause I'm not really sure how far it is for you. And you, you had mentioned going, going to another spot and we can certainly try that. Although I think that spot is going to be really far for me. <laughs> I think. Oh yeah. A lot farther for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if this spot's about like a 10 or 15 minute drive for you as well, it's, it's about that for me. Um, so that, that's good. Um, Let's see. But yeah, I like how close it is. And, and I know you had some other stuff going on. So, you know, it makes it, it makes it really easy um, when, you know, if you do have some stuff or, or whatever, or it's just not quite working out in, in your plans that day, well, you know, to, to set up your gear takes 10 minutes anyway. You throw it in the car and you drive 10 minutes. You're really only adding 10 or 15 minutes on 
your session at least in one direction and, and then the same coming back. Um, it makes it it makes it more doable. And especially where, you know, there was so much grain dust around. One thing I like about that site, it's it's just high enough that we weren't really in the grain dust anymore. So I was really happy about that. Well, and it's in an area where there's not a lot of like fields, right? Like farming fields right beside it, you know? So you do have a little bit of separation from the yes. agriculture that's going on around there, which is really right. good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe one other thing too is like kind of how I like to rate some dark sites, like a, like it, like there's kind of the, the close sites, like what we're talking about where you have a short drive and you're there. Um, one of the keys is I have to be able to at least be able to see some of the Milky Way. You know, yeah. if I can see some of the Milky Way, that tells me I'm getting dark enough that it's worth the 10 or 15 minute drive from my house. Yeah. And sure enough, you know, at that site, the Milky Way was starting to come out and it, we really weren't even there for astronomical darkness yet either. Um, I don't yeah. think anyway. And, you know, well, it no, wasn't like it was a super dark by nine. So we had about, we had about an hour of it just about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just, it, it, it is, it is that bright there. Like, unfortunately, like that's, yeah, yeah, there yeah. is some pretty good brightness. So. Well, and yeah, cause there's three major towns around there too. Yeah. But, um, anyway, yeah. it's a nice site. I like it. I'm sure we'll be back. Yeah. I, you know, you were saying about like being away from the agriculture. So it was, it was around this time of year and there was, there was a new, uh, a new person in our in our club when you and I were more involved in the club and uh, and I just found this this pretty good um, little site again it was it was on the edge of not really a nature preserve it was like a, a little campground or something but they had like this big area I think you and I went and observed at, at one spot on it once and then we, we were we actually went out there you had your 12 inch we looked at NGC 7331 uh, I don't know if you remember that or not but anyway uh, and I found another spot that, that was a little bit better there. So I was like really excited. So this person uh, came to my house and we, we drove out to this spot and, and it was great. You kind of could drive in. And I think there was like, it was like the day use area and it was really nice, like good view to the east and west. And the south was, was okay. Like there was some little trees right there, but you were a little bit sheltered. And you kind of drove in and sort of this, this land was on one side and then the farmer's field was on the other. Well, you know, of course we just get set up, you know, and here comes the farmer and the harvester with like the stadium lighting on it, right? You know what I mean? Jeez, yeah, <laughs> Coming yeah. down. And then I'm like, okay, well, it won't be bad because that's a huge field. But no, he, he harvested right like basically 100 or so meters away from us and then turned around and then drove back only about another hundred meters and then turned around and like he was there it was going to take um two to three hours to mow that field and that was our session right it was it was brutal so and the the chaff is or chaff or whatever it is is coming up and you know, you know what it's like it was ridiculous so. yeah and, and kind of the crappy part like i you know our, our province is largely built on agriculture and you know the economy really depends on it so i i support it wholeheartedly um, yeah. but and, I, and the, I've worked in the grain business. So. Yeah. Yeah. The, the thing with the, like where, where it's kind of annoying with astronomy is, you know, we look at all kinds of weather forecasts to see if it's worth going out. Yeah. The one forecast you can't see is grain dust in the air and farmers, you know, harvesting. <laughs> so you, yeah. that's the one thing that you're rolling the dice on around here where you just, you go and if you see a bunch of combines, happening you know are operating driving. yeah you know you just turn around or you keep driving yeah like uh james edgar who's uh, one of our journal editor editors and editor for the observer's handbook 
I was uh, I was actually emailing back and forth with him uh, that night uh, as well, and uh, and he was he sent me a photo. I should get permission and let you you tweet that out because like you can see like the the dust is is ridiculous like and it's kind of actually bothering me a bit today like that's why I kind of had that pause there and had to cough because um even just from being out that night and and just being around here because the fields now don't they used the fields used to end at my house they used to turn the combines around 150 feet from my back door but but now they turn around maybe a mile or or so from here but even still like uh we've had the wind blowing in the right direction. So we've been getting a lot of, a lot of grain dust right here, even at the house. Mm-hmm. Yep. So any thoughts on uh, other observing plans for, uh, for the autumn for you, Shane, or? Well, um, I haven't looked at the forecast yet for this week, but we're, we're coming into new moon season for September. Uh, I would love to get down to Grasslands Park. Um, if A, the weather's good and, B, if we look at their reservation calendar and see that it's not too, too busy. Yeah. Um, I'm all about getting to a real, like getting at least one good dark session in this year if we can. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would love to do that. Um, if that does not happen, you know, I'll continue with the backyard observing. Mars is really starting to um, become an earlier evening target. So I'm excited for that. Um, yeah, as well as probably some more, you know, short trips outside of the city, like what we did last night. Yeah, right now I'm just looking at the forecast here, and not to put too much of a damper on things, and and um, you know, and I, I think I mentioned this before, but our, our mutual friend Kathleen, she's going down, I think, on Wednesday, mm-hmm. and right now probably uh, probably Thursday, Friday are looking good, and then it's going to rain um on saturday sunday so i've uh i've already booked the friday off um just so you know um so just keep, keep that in mind mm-hmm. um but you know that that can already start to uh be a little bit uh problematic yeah um, it's not looking as good as i would like it to right now but the weather can change a lot between now and then so we'll have to we'll keep our yeah. eye on the forecast yeah thursday I, night's looking great and so is friday yeah and I could be tied up because I'm trying to get my own, my own site lined up, as you know, and th- that might happen this week or th- that's when apparently we're supposed to be able to start sorting that out. So, uh, and it comes with a warm room. <laughs> so nice, that's, nice. yeah. that's exciting. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see if that, uh, if that pans out, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that would be a good spot too. Only, only 30 minutes away. So, Yeah. So any other uh, gear on the way? You've gotten rid of the Masuyama. You've oh, yeah. gotten well, the uh, tripod and mount kind of on the way. The, the, the Burlaback chair is very luxurious. I really, really like the way it all looked together. Really think you do need the wooden tripod just to have the matchy-matchy. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, so last week, um, well, I, yeah, last week I received um, another TMB monocentric, super monocentric. Okay. I'm slowly trying to piece a set together, you know, as, as I can find the, then I think you should just sell them for 4,500. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) But uh, anyway, I received the nine millimeter, which is a a great focal length for the telescopes that I have. Um, Yeah. You know, the Skywatcher 120 ED and then the TAC DCU uh, with the Q extender. I'm in that 900 millimeter focal length. So a nine millimeter eyepiece gives me about a hundred times magnification in both telescopes. Oh, nice. That's really nice. Um, so I did test drive that eyepiece this week and it's, it's amazing. It's just like the rest of those TMB super monos. 
um, you know, I don't, I, it's hard to complain about them. They're, they're just a fantastic eyepiece. Um, but I did, I did kind of do a stupid thing uh, when I got home from our observing session last night. Uh-oh. Um, so do you remember I was talking about, I found that Unitron for sale in Eastern Canada. Like I wasn't sure if it was a three or four inch Unitron. Okay. Yeah. Well, that one sold, which was good. I really didn't want it because I don't need it. Um, but you know, our, our, the, our website that has some auctions from overseas that we oh, from yeah. time to time that well, we don't promote because of the addictive nature of it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they had a, a, a classic telescope on there, um, made by Royal Astro Optics. So, mm. um, if we go back to like episode two or three or whenever I talked the about classic telescope chat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So one of the, one of the, you know, better makers of optics in the sixties. Um, and, and I think even going into the seventies and maybe going back to the fifties, kind of in that era was Royal Astro Optics out of uh, Tokyo, Japan. Um, they just had outstanding quality control. So you, you got very consistent uh, optics from them and they were all consistently great. Um, so if you can ever find an older telescope that was made by Royal Astro, you, you'll have a really good instrument. And Royal Astro made uh, telescopes that were rebadged by like Tasco, Sears, uh, Mayflower, possibly either they're, they're yep. a whole bunch, right? Yep. So anyway, with all this being said, um, I noticed a 76 millimeter F 15, I think. So 76 millimeter aperture with a 1200 millimeter focal length. And you already own the tax 76. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. You've got a problem. I have a bad problem. <laughs> so this, the, 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 the price when I went to bed was really low. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to put in a low bid and if I get it, great, because I'll, I'll get a steal of a deal here. Um, but my low bid will easily be outbid and I won't, you know, I won't have it. So yeah. anyway, I woke up and my very low bid was the successful bid. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. So now I've got this giant telescope with a mount and, you know, everything else coming to me. Um, now, I don't need this thing. Um, part of me doesn't even want this thing now, to be honest. But, <laughs> but, um, what'd you say it was like F eleven seven or something like that? No, it's like F fifteen. Oh, um, so moly, it's, it's that's 12, huge. It's twelve hundred millimeter focal length. Well, so at least now you got a spot to hang your gym clothes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, actually, it's F like fifteen point eight. So <laughs> it's huge. Yeah. Huge. Um, but what I was kind of wanting, and I think this will actually fill the void. Um, so, you know, when we're observing in the winter time, like it's going to be minus 20 most nights and some nights that's a warm night and that's minus 20 Celsius. Yeah. So when you take optics out and they get cold and you bring them in, condensation forms on them like crazy. And if you don't treat them right, you know, that can actually degrade your optics quite a bit, uh, over time. So I was kind of wanting not, not a beater telescope, but like kind of a winter telescope that I can leave in the garage and I'm not as worried about it. Um, you know, in terms of condensation and things like that. Yeah. So depending on, you know, how good this Royal Astro telescope is, it, it might become my winter telescope that I just okay. haul in and out of the garage and, and, yeah. you know, use it for that purpose. Cause yeah. you know, a big telescope like that is a hard thing to package and take around and 
you know, yeah. so you, you don't want to move it too far. But uh, anyway, that's uh, on route. So more, <laughs> more first late reviews coming. Wow. In the future. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's exciting. That that's interesting. Like that would be a really interesting uh, planetary uh, telescope. Sorry, what year? And, and sorry, is it a, is it a Royal Astro branded or another brand? It's branded Royal Astro. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. what year? Any idea? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to look into that. Like usually when, with the serial number, you're able to, to understand when it was built based on some yeah. of the numbers in there. So okay. I don't know for sure. I think it's um, a more recent edition or one of the maybe one of the last ones Royal Astral would, would have produced yeah. Um, because it doesn't come in a wood box. It, it comes in a cardboard box and it has okay. styrofoam inserts. So that usually means, you know, it's a, it's not a, a super old one, um, but it has like the solar projection plate and just a whole bunch of stuff that commonly comes with those older telescopes. Yeah. And to be honest, I, I've always been really intrigued by the three inch, long focal length classic telescopes. Um, yeah. I am curious to see how it does on the planets. I like, I think it'll be just a, a, like an amazing telescope on the moon. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it'll do actually quite well. Um, so I, you know, while I'm kind of talking negatively about this thing, I'm, I am excited to see it and, uh, and use it and, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Um, with the price that I paid, I, you know, I could easily get my money back. I think if I decide to list this thing for sale. So. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the same as you about getting, like, I, I, I also have lots of telescopes, but th then I think I, I already sort of have that beater telescope. You're, I just haven't, 80s. uh, what's that? Your eighties. Oh yeah. One of the eighties, but, uh, no, I, I already did this years and years ago and bought, uh, I have a beautiful, you've never seen it. It's a Santel six inch Max Sudoff Cassegrain. Mm. Yeah. You've I'd told say. me about this one, but yeah, I've never seen it. Yeah. It's a Russian handmade telescope for observing in super cold, uh, conditions <laughs> like we have. So to actually, uh, uh, sort out a way to get this, uh, mounted up somehow, some way permanently um, without too much expense uh, would, would be the trick. So one thing I, I really would like to do is to try to find some sort of like super Polaris uh, type mount for it uh, and, and to get it properly mounted up. It's, it's always been like on my long-term plan to do. Cause, cause like you said, you know, you keep it in the garage and I'd like to get the ability just to roll it out in the driveway. And uh, you know, I think I paid, Boy, I want to say like $400 for it. Okay. That's and it's a great a, price. Yeah. And it's a six inch and it's, it's one of those six inch max where they say, Oh, like it pretty much performs like a four or four and a half inch refractor and hundred percent it does with, uh, with a couple drawbacks. Cause it is, it is rather uh, heavily built. Um, it does need to be cooled, but by keeping it in the garage, you would, you would achieve that or I would achieve that. And, uh, Let's see. Yeah. And, and it is a little bit futzy amount has some, some, uh, mechanical challenges. Um, but you know, for, for 400 or so dollars, um, that's a, that's a pretty inexpensive, uh, you know, telescope really as, as far as they, as far as they come for what essentially amounts to a four or four and a half inch refractor, like, like image once it cools. Now you've never seen it here. I bought it when I lived in Ontario because, Ontario has, um, in the summers anyway, more stable conditions. Mm. And so if I was in my, 
And by air conditioned, it's a bit of a stretch. But if I was in my air conditioned, quote unquote, air conditioned uh, apartment, and uh, I had it, I had it running about uh, say twenty one or twenty two degrees in there ish, and and then came down, threw it in the car, my car, turned the air conditioner on, and then I went observing. Um, our observing sessions would start at about twenty degrees and wind up at about. 18 degrees, you know, over the course of two hours. So it would essentially be close enough to ambient that within a half hour or so you were, you were pretty much there with it and uh, you could have some great observing. But I, by the time I got it and I sent it to uh, back when, oh, I forget the name of it, but it was a telescope uh, store in Florida that used to import them. And just before they closed, I had it serviced there and they did all the optics and cleaning and alignment and everything and it came once it's aligned it's it's aligned permanently um so anyway i had all that done so it worked beautifully but i only ever used it for maybe oh three or four times and then we moved so uh i did confirm it you know it is a beautiful well-working telescope but it's just been sitting in its in its soft case uh, ever since but you know it's not a wide field telescope we go out we go to dark skies here unlike in ontario and go to dark skies here i mean they are dark and you can really take advantage of a wide field instrument versus uh you know just having this is pretty much just dedicated uh planetary machine which is uh, great for being in in the city and looking at the planets like we have this year but yeah i would like to get it running so yeah just too many little projects you know not enough time yeah no i can relate to that yeah so anything else this month or this week that you wish to uh, that you wish to discuss or add? We're no, sort of I, at the end of the show notes here. Yeah, no, that's it for me, Chris. All right. Well, uh, again, it was great observing with, with you and Mike the other night. And uh, I think Mike said he was actually going to maybe try to join us uh, on one of these sessions and, and have a bit of a chat. So, um, you know, hopefully that will that will work out. I, I think it would be a lot of fun to to have a few people join us from from time to time, just for some uh, variance and variety or whatever. You know, just to see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to that for sure. Yeah. So, how can people uh, get in touch or stay in touch with us, Shane? You can find us on Twitter. We are at Actual Astronomy. Uh, you can email us actualastronomy at gmail dot com. And you can also leave feedback on any of the podcast platforms that you find us on. And uh, we will respond to any and all comments and messages and whatever else comes our way. All right. Well, thanks so much, Shane. Really appreciate it. Had a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. And thank you to everybody for listening.